Seven, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three. Good luck, studio. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Paul Chandler, the shy Yeti. <laughs> He's not that shy. All I wanted was a pie, and then I hatched out of an egg. Okay, bring the mic over. He's ready to record. It's the quiet ones you've got to watch, you know. Is it metaphorical? Is it? Is it deep? Is it deep? <laughs> Boy, he's not all that shy. Is right. Blimey, Governor! It's the Shy Life Podcast. Hello, campers. How are you? Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shyetti. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right, thank you very much. Well, this is going to be a poetic episode. Um, I'm not quite sure when I'll be releasing it, but I'm going to record it, and uh, then it's recorded, and I can share it with you whenever it fits into the schedule. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be celebrating one book and I'm going to be dipping into three other shorter books. But I'll explain what's going on after the, uh, after the theme music. So run those titles. Darling, it's a shy life podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You won't find a cast of characters like this everywhere. Hello, Paul. Uh, I'll go anywhere for potato. Delicious. This particular episode of the Shy Life is, is a little more abstract than usual. Okay, it looks like the hairy guy is ready to record. Three, two, one. Go Shy Yeti. Oh, I hope you haven't found out my secret. Think he has. If you thought that was bad, just listen to this. I can't wait. I can't wait for it to begin. It's the Shy Life Podcast. He's positively glowing. It's all gooey and greasy. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> Back again, listeners. So, yes, I promised that we're going to dip into a particular collection that's got a big anniversary, but also sort of anniversary to three other collections that are actually compilations. So I don't want to talk about them too much, and I just want to read maybe one or two things, because there's a possibility that we've covered some of the poems in other episodes. But uh, the main book that we're going to be talking about is called Junk Food. Now, this isn't celebrating its 10th anniversary, it's actually celebrating its 20th. It was released at the end of 2001, uh, although it does include some poems that... Um, I wrote when I was at school in the early 90s. Now, the version of the book that I'm going to be reading from uh, is the 10th anniversary collection that I released in 2011. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a, a shorter collection than some of my books. And, and I don't read that many poems from this collection that often, but there are one or two that I read a great deal. So we'll we'll be talking about that one. But um, to go very quickly through the others, I have one collection called Too Slushy for Snowmen 
now. This was a little compilation I did. It was around the time that I was I used to go on the radio with Tim back around 2011. Uh, it was when I was doing my videos. I was doing the radio and the videos of the radio, and I wanted to have a sort of a sort of collection, a themed collection of Christmas poems. And I'm not the most Christmassy person, but uh, it made sense that as I was looking to go on the radio and talk with Tim, and he wanted me to read some Christmas poems. To go through the Christmas poems I've written, I just thought I may as well put a pamphlet out. I'm not the most Christmassy of people. A lot of my Christmas things are quite macabre or scary or horrible. <laughs> so, uh, but there are one or two that are more cheerful. So I may read one or two from this collection because it's possible that this episode is coming out around or after Christmas. Um, now, the other two collections, again, compilations... Um, they came out in early 2012, so they're sort of hitting their 10th anniversaries, again, depending on when this episode goes out. We've got Shyetty Goes Wild, which is a collection of sort of animal-related poems. Um, and I did a show called Shyetty Goes Wild around this time. And then the other compilation is also from 2012, quite early on in 2012, uh, Cactus Heart, it's called. And it's... It, it's it's lost poems for lost loves is what I say, um, and I can't remember if I did a uh, a cactus heart show. Although I just well, I know actually why I decided to do this compilation. It's because I had some lovely photos from one of my trips to LA, and I had some lovely photos of cactus, which almost looked heart shaped or are basically heart shaped, and I. I wanted um, to have a, a poetry book where I could put the cactus on the front. Um, I think that is literally why Cactus Heart came into being. But anyway, so, yeah, I mean, some of those poems from Cactus Heart may end up in our Valentine's episode in uh, 2022. Who knows? Um, because, <laughs> as you know, when we do Valentine's episodes, they're rarely 100% happy, happy, joy, joy. But... We'll get to those at the um, end of the episode. And we'll turn now to junk food. Now, before I read you anything from it, um, the cover of the 10th anniversary special has a rather lovely burger on it. Um, and the back has a lovely piece of pie with some ice cream. Now, why is it called junk food, you ask? Well, it was, I was sort of playing around with that phrase because... Uh, the way the title is displayed, it's junk slash food. Um, I was going through a stage around the time I started putting my poems into a book of thinking, well, are these poems actually worth putting out? I'd, I'd got a feeling that, you know, rhyming poems were less popular. The poetry community often sort of infers that rhyming poems are just junk. Of course, the more you get to speak to people who write, the more you realise it's just certain people and um, the more you perform the poems, and depending on who your audience is, you realise that there is an audience for well-written rhyming poems. The trouble is, there is quite a lot of bad rhyming poetry out there, and there's quite a lot of bad... A lot of people are familiar with rhyme from songs, and there's quite a lot of bad rhyme in pop song lyrics, um, which possibly doesn't help the cause, but um, certainly... Um, 
when I met John Smallshaw, when I was performing at my poetry shows, it was good to find somebody else who used rhyme. And I talked to a number of other poets, some who regularly gigged and, um, yeah. So I stopped thinking of them as negative. Around the same time as I put this collection out, I'd been writing a book where there was a character in it and she wrote poems that she considered to be bad, but she had an audience for them. And that was a way of me using the poems I'd written and kind of going, well, I like them, but you might not. But if you don't like them, then that's because she's written them and there's this character. And anyway, I eventually decided who cares whether people like them or not. I like. If I like them, then I should say I like them. And, you know, um, my friend Michelle, who's never been on the show, but she was on Sutton Park. She's a friend of Nick's. She she also writes rhyming poetry, and I saw her performing in the late 90s and early noughties, and she was, you know, she, she didn't sort of apologise for writing rhyming poetry. So I decided, yeah, okay, that's the sort of poetry I wrote back in the early 90s, and that's kind of what I want to do now, but also there'll be some sort of prosy pieces that maybe they're poems, maybe they're prose, I'm not really sure. So even, you know, junk food is a bit of a mixture of the rhyme and the prose style, but uh, um, I'll just read you the back cover. Published in late 2001, Junk Food was Paul's first self-published collection. Long before he became Shayetti, he was just plain Paul, but what hasn't changed is that even then, he was writing daft verse. Until now, Junk Food has only been available alongside its sister collection, Roller Coaster, reissued during 2012. So this is the first time it has stood on its own some. This version is a special 10th anniversary edition containing photos, updated information and all sorts about how the book came to be written. Junk Food contains a number of poems that Paul still performs today, such as The True Light, The Sorry Tale of Fred the Dinosaur, Ready Teddy Go and Disco, but many that he never has performed. If you want to know how this Yeti poeting business first began, then this is the book for you. And yet, it's right, I wasn't Shy Yeti at this point. I didn't become Shy Yeti in any form until about 2000 and three or four I, I i'm not sure i remember the exact year i'm sure i could find out but yes i wasn't chayetti in 2001 that's for sure and uh, yeah when i first put this book out it was sort of hand produced photocopied at my parents house and um a spiral bound using a spiral binder i had uh, which actually had been about to be junked and i rescued it because I thought it still worked, and it did, and I kept it in the library store and used to um, buy uh, spiral things to spiral bind the copies. And oh dear, it was it was a uh, I never sold loads of copies, so it wasn't uh, a big deal. But I had to sort of photocopy them here, bring them back, and uh, anyway. Um, and then when I started using Lulu in the mid noughties I did put that book and the next book into one book. When I started to use Lulu, I had already written eight, ten books or whatever. I was writing a new one at the time. So I wanted to put all my effort into making that book, which was uh, Poems to Make Bears Growl. Um, I wanted to sort of put my effort into making that look good. and But I wanted to kind of also put the earlier collections onto Lulu. And uh, so I thought the best way of doing that in a relatively quick way, was to put two collections in each um, uh, a book. So you got two for one. So I still had the word files, so it was easy just to dump it all, really. And but So, yeah, the first eight books came out as um, double bumper pack books. 
Um, but this 10th anniversary edition, as I hit each 10th anniversary of those first eight books, I put them out on their own. Um, I'll probably talk about those books as they hit their anniversaries, their, their 20th anniversaries, um, over the next few years, but we'll see. Um, but anyway, this is a special book because it is the first one I put out. And I was glad to do a 10th anniversary edition and to be able to expand, put photos and, and sort of to actually do something with the text, not just dump the Word file from 2001, um, but to actually sort of change it if I wanted to or add logos and more information or behind the scenes stuff. So, yeah, it says that the inside it says the first hand printed version was winter 2001. Um, it was revised in spring 2005, and the first um, Lulu version came out in summer 2006, it says. I'm not quite sure what the revised version from 2005 was. Um, the anniversary edition came out in November 2011, uh, but it also says it came out in June 2012. So whether I... Uh, it's a second, third, third revision. Or so, oh, anyway, I don't know. Uh, I guess I was tinkering with it a bit. So the actual book is 96 pages. So th there's not a great deal of, of extra material, but there is a little essay about uh, a collection called Anything Goes. Uh, the poems in Junk Food, which come from 1992, I had forgotten until much later that I had even then put a little collection together, but I don't think it ever got beyond my own house. Uh, I think um, I... I sort of, at some point, I found a copy of Anything Goes, and it included loads of poems that I hadn't revised or included in Junk Food. Um, I think if I'm right, I can't remember if it was when I was writing Junk Food, was the point where my old computer that I'd written the, those poems in 1992 on, although I later found out that I'd printed some of them, which I'd forgotten all about. I think I was thinking... If um, if I want to rescue some of those 92 poems that are stuck on this computer, this computer is on its way out, I'm, I'm going to have to do it by copying them out from the screen by hand, which I, I did. Um, and so the ones that I rescued from 92 were uh, rescued from a computer that was dying. Although, as I say, later on I found a printed copy, so... Had that not happened, I, I may have found them again at some other point. But anyway, before I read you anything, the poems in this collection are Ballad of a Bloodsucker, Ballad of an All Right Bloke, Best Things Since Sliced Bread, Brief of an Encounter, Careless Talk Costs, Civil Tongue, Office Romance, Cure for the Common Cold, Disco 92, Disco 2001, Dolphins Can Be Sociable, Doorsteppers, Eight-Legged Discrimination, Empathy, Etta, Eurovision Hero, Haircut, Halloween Don't Pay the Rent, Hens and Stags, I Am the Germs, I Believe, I Love London, I Should Never, I'll Never Be Young Again, Lacking Ambition, Last Year's It Girl, Our Choir, Over You, Parlor Games, Party Piece, Pen Friend Elaine, Poison Pen, Raining, Ready Teddy Go, Song of a 21st Century Stereotype, Sorry Taylor Fed the Dinosaur, Splinters, Sweet Sound of Gloria, Tales of My Family, Target, Tree, The True Light, Truth About Haggis, Visitors, and Workshy. 
So as I said, I'll read some of those. And um, then I'll read something from uh, uh, the, the smaller collections as well. But before I do, uh, let's have some music. My dad just bought me a sherry, so I need to get lubricated before I start poeting. thing since sliced bread. Can I say this was a prose piece? Is it a poem? I'm not sure, but anyway. When first that we met, I thought you were special. The bee's knees. Nobody does it better. You were the best thing since sliced bread. But I was wrong. I was stupid. Most people did it better than you. The bee's knees were knobbly. You were the best thing since nothing. Especially not sliced bread. You were about as special as mouldy toast which is slightly less impressive. When first that we kissed, I thought you were precious. You were always there for me, my disciple. You had the eyes of an angel, you were Mardi Gras. Except you weren't, of course. I was stupid. I got lost in the crowds at your Mardi Gras. You were about as precious as mud, the angel of death in glasses. And sadly, as far as disciples were concerned, you were Judas. When first that we wed... I knew you were the one for me, wanted to be with you all the time. You told me you felt the same, except on weeknights and bank holidays. I saw you as a friend, a companion. You just saw other people behind my back. I believed in love at first sight, and so did you, falling in love that way every morning whilst commuting to work. I thought the sun shone out of you. You liked it when the sun shone, and I went out. You also liked my bank balance, my sisters, my mother... I was stupid, but eventually I learnt. When first we divorced, you wanted me to reconsider. You said I was heavenly. I told you to go to hell. You said your heart was in the right place. A medical fact, admittedly. Except you were wrong about that as well. Your heart wasn't in the right place at all. In fact, it was doing rather badly. And soon after, you suffered a coronary. Caught in an embarrassing situation with your secretary. The final furtive embrace. You made yourself look stupid. Looks aren't always deceptive. You were stupid and fatally flawed, and in the end it killed you. On the day of the funeral, the church was half empty, the singing muffled by apathy. The morning was over by lunchtime. Crying in public is so hard to fake. I never even showed up, but sent a bouquet, a card. The girl in the shop wrote something appropriate. You weren't going to read it anyway. You lay back peacefully, 
very much as you did when you were alive. I took a holiday, took a lover, let my hair down, wore bright colours. I wasn't stupid. Looking back without regret, I spent time in copious amounts of currency, and they buried you. They did a good job. Nobody commented on my absence. After all, I'd put up with you for long enough. Stood by you through thick and thin, an accurate description of your girlfriends. I was busy planning a new life for myself. I'd said my piece, sent flowers. They didn't last long, but then neither had we. I took another holiday, grateful for your lethargy. Stupidly, you'd never changed your will. Later, I spoke to your friends of the tragedy, told them how much I missed you, making sure to sound terribly genuine, even managing a solitary tear when I told how we'd become close friends since the divorce. I lied without conscience. Your money made that all the easier. I'd said you'd take quite some getting over, that I needed time alone, that I'd have to find a way to start again. There would never be another man like you. I sincerely hope I'm right about that last one. This is a funny little one, called Careless Talk Costs. Careless talk costs, careless chatter, swapping tales, washroom natter, careless stories, careless fibbing, innuendo, constant ribbing. Careless talk costs, careless jarring, pretty soon best friends are sparring. Careless questions, careless lies, this week's gossip, no surprise. Careless talk costs, careless quips, words of loathing, silly slips, careless murmurs, careless queries. Chuckles, laughter, lurid theories. Careless talk costs, debating views. Just wait until your front page news. Careless snorts becoming hated. Careless talk can well be fated. Careless talk costs, careless stalker. The perils of a careless talker. Careless talk, a careless word. Cut your tongue out. How absurd. <laughs> Nasty. Nasty. There are quite a few poems in this collection I've not read. For a long while. I'd probably need to dip back to them at some point. Disco 92, which was originally called Disco, is one that uh, I like from this. Actually, well, this is a very early one. This is from 1992. It's quite simple in style, but uh, it's quite brief. Disco 92. I once went down a disco. However, when I did go, I must make a confession. It became quite an obsession. The lights do flash, the music blares, and I went down there wearing flares. I danced, they pranced, looking false, I did the waltz. They threw at me some rotten eggs, then what they did, they broke my legs. My young body was full of pain, I won't go dancing there again. They broke me in so many ways, you cannot trust old folk these days. Then in 2001, I decided to write a sequel. It's called Disco 2001, Dance Floor Fabulous. It starts sort of in a similar rhyming um, scheme but then sort of takes a different rhythm i've just been down the disco it's been 10 years since my last go last time you see i got depression but now i have a new confession the lights do flash i felt just right i forgot about that other night 10 years ago it was no joke beaten up by older folk oaps on a big night out too much booze got bashed about so it put me off but now i'm back let nothing stop me let nothing lack I danced around. A disco daze came over me, halcyon haze. Updated dance steps, nimble feet, vodka Red Bull despite the heat. I laughed at ladies, those can-can kickers, with dresses hitched up in their knickers. I body-popped, I robot-danced. Upon the stage I duly pranced. I camped to Kylie, mosh to posh, and at the end needed to wash. 
I found my way. I am brand new. I've got the moves, the chosen few. I even snogged the cutest guy. Ah, boy, that was a plus. And now I'm king of disco tunes. I'm dance floor fabulous. Oh, Paul, is that based on a true story? Well, in, in a way, in a way. Actually, I don't think I've been to many discos in 1992. I tended to um, avoid them when we went to Doctor Who conventions. The very first Doctor Who conventions I went to, I was too nervous to go on the dance floor. By, you know, the later 90s or the early 2000s, I was all up for going on the dance floor. Um, but, uh, oh, Paul, I know what you mean. Uh, it, it can be quite uh, nerve-wracking, can't it? Yeah, yes, it can, Cromarty. Um And, you know, it's hard to know. you just got to kind of get over yourself, really. Oh, yes, Paul. And, uh, you know, when I started going to clubs more in the mid-90s, mid to late-90s with Callum, um, yeah, I kind of felt that Callum was someone that if he could go on the dance floor, then I could. So I think we probably, you know, just like, OK, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? Nobody cares, um, as long as you're having fun. And, and we were having fun. We weren't just, you know, doing it. And I got to the stage where I, I really loved to dance. Although, uh, yeah, I was pretty much pretty much retired from dance floors by the early 10s not necessarily by choice but uh, um, I think one of the last times I remember really enjoying a disco was my friend Julie's 40th Um, she's a year or so older than me so that might have been late 2011 I think that it was just the 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 wives and me and maybe Callum dancing Um, wasn't just uh, nightclubs uh, but it was uh, weddings. They went to a lot of weddings in the noughties, and uh, the dancing was always uh, a really good part of the uh, the whole event. I believe you wrote a poem called Disco Yeti, Paul. I certainly did, yes. Um, in fact, I, uh, I think I wrote quite a lot of poems about discos and dance floors over the years. What else can I read you? A lot of the 1992 poems in this collection, I, um, yeah, I'm a little bit iffy about. I mean... Disco and the side tale of Fred the Dinosaur, uh, I still go back to. I like those. Um, but I think my rhyming palette, my rhythm, the rhythms that I wrote in um, were quite were quite similar. And also, I, uh, in 1992, what experience did I have of life? Well, I mean, I've been around for 18 or 19 years, but quite sort of protected and uh, nothing really bad had happened to me. And I wasn't really writing about relationships at that point. I don't think I'd actually had any, but I certainly had, you know, crushes and um, things like that going on. So, so yes, in 1992, what did I know about anything? <laughs> this one uh, is a, a weird one. It's called Empathy. We were on the same train, in the same carriage, late night Thursday. Not something I planned. No one else, just us. I watched you, and you sat, head in hand. I felt your pain. Empathy. I read your thoughts as we sat on that train late night Thursday. Your shoulders shook, body a spasm of grief. I tried to probe your thoughts for the cause, but you kept me out. Locked the door, told me to go. I couldn't get inside your head, and it was very dark on the outskirts of your mind. You looked up at me, your eyes were red, but you were smiling. You'd been laughing. Your mind lay wide open to me now. I could clearly see the face of the woman you'd killed. The train sped on as you approached. You made presumptions, thought you'd scare me. Obviously not a telepath yourself. You thought I couldn't defend myself. 
You had a kitchen knife. Mine was bigger. Your expression was pleasing. I truly surprised you and that made it all worthwhile. You'd done something very bad, very wrong. You weren't the only one. I left you there on the seat where you'd fallen. My stop next. We were on the same train, in the same carriage. Late night Thursday. Quite unplanned. The train departed. I watched it go and you died. Head in hand. I felt your pain. Empathy. I don't think there can be many poems about murderous telepaths uh, with knives or psychopath a psychopath meeting a telepath a psychopathic telepath <laughs> oh gosh um yeah should probably have kept that one for the last halloween episode but there we go and i think this is an early one um i might be wrong the eurovision hero it's a little bit uh well it's sort of an update of the pie pipe of hamlin but uh, i guess in a way um anyway the eurovision hero his eyes are blue, his lips are green, and everywhere that he is seen, a raggle-taggle band of men that worship him, who know that when he moves his lips, he starts to sing, chirpy cheep cheep and ring ring, nostalgic chords that know no wrong, agadoo, the birdie song. He woos them with his hip-cool bleating, hypnotised in comfy seating. Mahogany, and there she goes, the Eurovision hero knows, Whilst blur and steps may top the charts, its golden oldies win our hearts. The ones we'll keep, the ones we love, those platform heels, the push and shove. Enslaved, commanded, made to swoon by the Eurovision hero's tune. He will not cease, he will not stop. That man, the Pied Piper of Pop. If I was writing that now, I'd probably be a bit more... Because um, I call it the Eurovision hero, but... Um, well, Ring Ring was a an entry for Eurovision. Well, no, it was an entry for a semi-final of of, of um, Eurovision. It wasn't even in Eurovision. Uh, Mahogany, there she goes. None of these songs. Chirpy, chirpy, cheap, cheap. Agadu, they weren't Eurovision songs. So maybe I would rewrite that now if I was doing that. When is that one? Did I write that? When did I write that one? I think I wrote that one. In, that's a 92 one. Let me have a look. Uh, Eurovision Hero was written... Oh no, oh, that's weird. Eurovision Hero uh, wasn't written in 2001 or 1992. It was written in 1999. <laughs> yeah, I forget, one or two of these. I, for some reason, I did write the odd poem. Literally, well, probably it was odd. And um, occasional poem uh, between 92 and 2001. But, uh, yeah. Um, There's one here I, I like. I am the germs, but I think I'll avoid it at the moment because it's not quite the right time to be reading um, poems about germs and um, uh, illnesses, I think, after the last couple of years. I, I, I won't read that one this time. <laughs> well, you say that, Paul, but, well, when is it a good time to be reading poems about telepathic psychopaths? Well, you know. Good point, Cromarty, good point. Um, this one's called Over You. Alarms sound, the kettle boils, the garden bare, flowers few. A breakfast bowl, a single cup, full of despair over you. At work, my vision blurs. I bite my lip and typist tap. The taste of salt and that of blood. The scissors slip was my mishap. Journey home, I can't recall. Still see red and envy green. I toss and turn, a nagging doubt. To what was said, rewind the scene. Time will pass when looking back. From further fields, feeling nothing new. Open-mouthed, how far I've come. My memory shields from thoughts of you. 
Alarms sound, the kettle boils, the garden's bare, flowers few, a breakfast bowl, a single cup. I cannot care. I'm over you. Now this one's from 92. Again, I'm not 100% happy with some of it, but it does have a story to it. It just seems a bit basic reading it now. But I don't think I've read this one, so part of games. When I was young, oh, eight or nine, there crawled a spider up my spine. It crawled right up upon my shoulder. It looked to me was getting bolder. It spoke to me a word or two. Hello, it said. How do you do? I'm fine, said I. I see you're well. He said, I am. How could you tell? Well, I said, it's it's really easy. You look quite bright and, and kind of breezy. He smiled and nodded. Yes, you're right. I've not considered it till tonight. My lad, said he, so what's your name? Hey, now, I cried. Look, what's your game? No, no, he groaned. Now, don't mistake me. It's not as if I wish to harm thee. I merely ask, I'd like to know. If it disturbs you, then I'll go. No, I said. Name's boy. What's yours? The spider grinned and snapped his jaws. Said he, Patrick's my name. I think you're nice. I, I was suspicious in a trice. What do you want? I said serenely. Frowned at him and tutted meanly. He said to me, I can give you all you seek. I'll make your life complete and whole. If to me you'll sell your soul. If, that is, it's up for sale. Spiritless, you'll never fail. He said to me, is that okay? Tell me, boy, what do you say? I'll throw in dinner at the Ritz. Ice cream sundaes, banana splits. You can mix with kings the next big cheese. If you'll only sell your soul now, please. Will you consider, think it through? Don't rush your choice, whate'er you do. I thought a while I did consider. Sell my soul to the highest bidder. I thought a tad did not reply. Then gave my answer with a sigh. Look sorry, I said, but no way, Pat. With that I turned and squashed him flat. Well, that serves him right, I thought, forgetting what his childhood taught. Keep your vest on, do stay washed, mind your manners and don't get squashed. So, little spider without a care, remember this and please beware. You may think you have the winning card. Next thing you know lies crush you hard. Stay neat and be asleep by ten and never speak with strange young men. Oh, dear Paul, you really should have warned our spider listeners about that poem. What about Aragog, the owner of Jay the Horned Cub? Oh, um, yes, uh, you're right, Cromarty. I never thought about it. Although I do believe, I think Aragog has unsubscribed. But, I mean, obviously, Jay still listens. Oh, he might not now. Oh, dear. Sorry, listeners, if you have spider friends, then, um, you know, it's just a poem. He was a very evil spider. And I think, to be honest, it was sort of like a manifestation of, of something else. A bit like Azrael on Sutton Park. Oh, he was a plastic spider. Well, yeah, something like that. What do we have next? Well, um, I will probably read you Ready, Teddy, Go. I wrote this partly because of my friend Maggie, who I used to work with at the time. Uh, she was very keen on teddy bears. Well, we both were. That's one of the things we bonded over when we first met. Ready, Teddy, Go. My teddy knows hypnosis. Just see how hard it stares. It knows about telepathy with other woolly bears. At night they sit up in my room and chat about me duly. They're making plans to rule the world. When they do, it will be cruelly. 
they peer at us till we're in love with their cutesy smiling faces. Like a furry-eared Medusa, they'll be rulers of all races. You cannot kill them, they can't get stuffed. They already are and neatly fluffed. My Ted, he knows about everything. He reads my mind twice daily. One day we'll be their playthings and they'll toy with us so gaily. I cannot see how we'll survive when they've all got us caught. All Teddy's no hypnosis, just watch them from now on. They know what we are thinking and very soon they will have won. Da, da, da. Oh, Paul. Oh, first we have telepathic serial killers and then we have, uh, well, hypnotic teddy bears. Sounds uh, pretty normal for me. Uh, I mean, you're a great one for hypnosis, comedy. Uh, yes, this is true. I may have hypnotised a few people on this show. Yes, and the listeners, of course, with your charming persona. Oh, Paul, <laughs> you're so flattering. <laughs> I know. The sorry tale of Fred the Dinosaur. Are you going to read it, Paul? I will, but I'm sure it's been heard before. And also, I think it will expose what I said about... Um, the rhyming structure being quite similar to the Parlour Games one, but uh, never mind. Well, there's a story to it, isn't there? There is. Actually, it bears a similarity, probably, to Parlour Games, in a way, where there are two characters and a role reversal of power, a power reversal. Oh, Paul. Okay, well, anyway, I hope you enjoy it. I did still perform this one uh, at my shows, like, nearly 25 years after... Uh, <laughs> I've written it, so it must have something. Maybe I just have an affection for it. Well, there's no harm in that. <laughs> I guess not. Okay, the sorry tale of Fed the Dinosaur. When Earth was young, when Earth was small, there was hardly anyone at all, except a dinosaur named Fred, who was an attractive shade of red. See, life for Fred was rather boring, so he stood and took to roaring. Trouble was, still no one heard, except for Jill, a tiny bird. Now Jill would sing all day and night, sung all the songs and got them right. Fred loved Jill dearly, for he knew her, but was hungry, he'd have to stew her. He lay all weak and so defeated. He looked quite ill and so browbeaten. Jill, said Fred, I'm feeling blue. I'd really like to eat you. Jill smiled and lit a fag with her lighter. No, you can't, she said, you little blighter. Oh, my dear, said Fred with a sigh. In that case, then I'm going to die. Oh, the pain, the pain of my empty tummy. Alas, alack, I want me mummy. Oh, well, I'm going now, said Fred. And with that he fell down dead. Jill smiled, then turned away and winked. So that's how dinosaurs became extinct. Oh, dear poor Fred. I know, I know. I think with these early poems, and I don't want to blow my own trumpet. Oh, Paul, it's your show. Blew it as much as you like. Well, what I was going to say is that I I found that um, with rhyming poetry and particularly these early ones, you know, you need to kind of work on the performance of them. And, you know, if some of the rhymes do sound a little bit trite, if you can perform them in such a way that it doesn't really matter because people are just enjoying the story uh, or they're laughing at the triteness and, and you're sort of laughing with them. Um, I mean, it's like songs. How many songs with rhyme in are pretty clunky, but the tune just sort of takes you away a little bit from the fact that it, if you read the lyrics without the tune, they would seem a bit poor. <laughs> I think you're right, Paul, yes. Well, you know, I think it's like with anything, Paul, with a script, a good actor can make a bad script uh, seem really good. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, what else shall I read? 
I am trying to not just read the ones I always read, but I am aware that these early ones are not up to your current standard. <laughs> I'm, I'm not commenting. I'll read you this one. It kind of really does under underline what my interests were back in 92 and what my English teacher at the time accused me of. The theme of this poem kind of sums up what he accused me of, and he wasn't wrong, really. At least not then. This is called Target. It's become quite obvious to see that someone, somewhere, don't like me. It's begun to get me in a stew, because I cannot fathom what to do. It could be Auntie Jane or Anne. They don't like me, nor any man. But would they go as far as that joker with the gun has? When he tried so hard to shoot me dead, but missed and shot our cat instead. There was a time not so long ago when somebody buried our house in snow. The phones, you see, they had been tapped, and all within were therefore trapped. Escape was tough, and this we felt, waiting for the snow to melt. We returned to life a little thinner, having lived for weeks without our dinner. Not a crumb, nor even a mouse. We'd eaten everything in the house. We ate the furniture, the pot plants too. God knows where Granny dear went. Who? No. You don't suppose that she's the killer who crushed Mum underneath a pillar? That would explain why Ma has gone. Gran didn't have her glasses on. She's killing off all the people. Father fell from our church steeple. No doubt she pushed him, thought him me, only because she couldn't see. There is no way that they could stop her. The only way would be to top her. With eyes aglow, a heart of frost... I fear my life, alas, it's lost. She's never liked me, mentally sick, with her cutthroat walking stick. She'll shoot me, boot me, blow me up, put poison in my drinking cup. One day I'm sure she'll hit her target, and I'll lay dying on her carpet. She'll stand there laughing. <laughs> then I'll be gone, no one'll know. With that criminal mind, she'll go real far. My mad, mass-murdering grandmama. Yes, murderous grannies. I was accused by my English teacher of writing about murderous grandmas and, and aspidistras. Um, I don't know why aspidistras. I think aspidistras just have a sort of uh, a reputation of hanging out with um, grandmas. I think I might have written a sequel called Target 2, but I don't know that I ever put it in a book. I should probably read the next one, Tree, because I wrote this, and I think it even got included on the radio. Um, I, something to do with writing a a poem, and it won. A, I don't know if it won a competition, but it certainly got selected, and I believe I had to read it on the local radio. But I might be imagining that. But uh, I remember particularly because I wrote it slightly as a um, a parody of some of the serious poems that we were studying in GCSEs or or A level. Uh, I didn't always get on well with the poetry we did at school. In fact, that's one of the reasons I started writing poetry, partly. I was doing spoofs to start with. I guess I was sort of writing it as a parody, but I guess you could read it seriously. Um, it could just be a serious poem, but anyway. I thought I was being very pretentious, but that seemed to be exactly what they wanted. So it's called Tree. It's very short. Tree. Standing alone, toes swollen to the soil, a life swayed, uneven, unpaid, a loosening grip as branches whip until breezes are gales, heads become tails, uprooted, unearthed. The hollow tree upends itself like an unruly angel. In death, yet still there is life. 
I guess the only thing about it that makes it a parody is that when I voted, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be very pretentious. But uh, as I say, and the next poem I'm going to read, The True Light, is kind of important to me because it was through this poem that I came back to writing poetry. Uh, and I, I probably told this story before. I was visiting a friend of mine. Um, I think he was given a poetry book, a, a humorous poetry collection for a birthday and, and I was uh, with him and I said, oh, I used to write sort of humorous poetry and, uh, oh, he said, like what? And I hadn't, I couldn't remember any of my old poems. I'd not written, really written that many for years. So I think probably over overnight I, I wrote a poem and um, came out rather well and it came out so well that uh, I thought, oh, I must write some more and then I never stopped for about 15 years. Uh, and best thing since sliced bread was also inspired by that same person um only because he had a very witty banter and well anyway um this is the true light i promise you sincerely i promise you tonight i'm a totally changed person that i have seen the light i'm reformed repaired inspired neither trouble nor strife i beg of you my darling come and stabilize my life take the shackles of my past dear let me show you the real me I've stopped flirting with the milkman. Discount yoghurt's 50p. I'll never bed the paper boy, neither butcher nor the baker, nor snog the vicar's wife again. For you, I did mistake her. I hadn't got my glasses on, I know that's no excuse. But let's get back together, let's stop this marred abuse. So, can we be friends who just cuddle? Can we be friends who just kiss? Can we be friends who go further and share a mutual bliss? I've changed, I've changed, I've changed. I have. I'll make you see I'm right. I'm a totally changed person, and I've truly seen the light. Ah, you can see there how um, <laughs> I, I, although I probably hadn't read it recently, but uh, yeah, the uh, killing someone because you haven't got your glasses on—that that that theme appears in Target, uh, as you will remember, uh, with the murderous grandma. Um, one thing I will say about this poem is that around the time I wrote it. There were, there were things going on in, in this poem that uh, that may not be obvious. So the line, can we be friends who just cuddle, can we be friends who just kiss, etc., was a, a line that um, a certain friend of mine who sometimes appears in this show had used on the person who had asked me to write the poem. But I don't think he knew that I knew that this conversation had happened. So I dropped it into the poem to see how he would react I can't remember how he reacted. He probably played it cool. But uh, see, sometimes those innocent poems have things going on in the background. Well, I think that's pretty much all I want to read from this collection. Yeah, there, there, is, there is lots more, but I'm, I'm sure I'll come back to it at some point. Um, I think I've read all my favourites anyway. And uh, I think we'll have a little bit of music. Uh, unless you've got anything to say, Cromarty. No, Paul. <laughs> I laid your anecdote, though. Oh, what about uh, writing that last poem? Yes, Paul. <laughs> you are a sly one. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, well, let, let's have a little bit of music now. And when we come back, um, I'll read you a few bits and pieces from those shorter collections. Oh, good, Paul. I look forward to it. Okay, right. Um, let's, let's just listen to some music.
show, Paul. It's me, Martin. Oh, hello, Martin. Is Cromarty gone? He has. Uh, he said you had uh, some poems to read. I do. I do. Um, some poems to read from Too Slushy for Snowmen, which is a compilation I did. I'm only going to read um, maybe one or two. So what are you going to read us? Um, oh, maybe... Maybe these two. Um, is it Christmas already? Is it Christmas already? Well, I've not got a hat. I'm sitting in shorts on the beach I'm sat. I've not had a mince pie, nor nor had even a card. I've not bought any presents, nor had spuds that are charred. I've not seen any tinsel. I've not got me a tree. I've not seen Santa Claus, nor sat there on his knee. I don't want to sound mean, because that's simply the worst. Ain't it a bit early for Christmas on October the 1st? Is it Christmas already? I've not seen any snow, no novelty baubles, nor noses that glow. I've not had any sprouts that are solid and steely, nor felt wandering hands being all touchy-feely. I've not heard any carols, oh so tuneless and cloying. I've not seen any ice, oh so very annoying. I don't want to sound cross, but it ain't yet December. It's just rather early for Christmas at the start of September. Is it Christmas already? Well, I've not felt any frost in my sweet little tootsies, and no toes have I lost. The leaves and the trees only opened last week. All the roses are blooming, and they're looking quite chic. I've Easter eggs yet to eat, feel a little bit sick. It is still only May. It's too soon for St Nick. I don't want to sound strict or, or be really unpleasant, but this year I've banned Christmas, though I still want a present. That was good, Paul. Thanks, Martin. going to read this one. It's a very short story. It's called Jack Frost's Chili Diet. Jack Frost frowned. He was rapidly coming to the conclusion that dieting wasn't such a great idea. He was attempting to change his eating habits. His doctor had told him that consuming cold food was freezing him up inside. And yet he loved snow. How could snow be bad for him? Jack Frost stared at the tin before him. It looked harmless enough, but he was suspicious. He liked the name, sure enough. Chilly. Sounded good. Like the sort of thing that he might enjoy. And yet... Well, he googled it on the interweb and apparently chilly, although cold-sounding, was warm. Hot, even. Jack couldn't eat hot food. It was against his religion. Jack only liked things like icicles and snowballs and the occasional passing iceberg. Hot things didn't sit well on his stomach. To be fair, he'd never actually tried it, but it scared him. What if he ate this chilly, this cold-sounding thing that was actually hot? What if it hurt him? What if it melted him, even? Jack stared at the tin and then pushed it away. No, he thought, I don't trust chilli. And so just to be safe, he had salad and an ice cube instead. Oh, blimey. <laughs> He's missing out on a trick there. I like a good chilli. I like a good chilli too. Um, I suppose uh, I should just whistle through the poems that um, are in this collection. So a seasonal selection of Christmas-themed poems and stories from the Yeti archives. We've got Alternative, Season's Greetings, Black Mailing Santa, Christmas Time for Skeletons, The Cow Singers, Christmas Lights, The Christmas Tree, Decorating Morrissey, uh, Happy Xmas, I Want to Be Born Before Christmas, Is It Christmas Already, Jack Frost Chili Diet, Look, I'm No Scrooge, The Melting Snowman, Mistletoe Mania, Rich Pickings, Santas Don't Text, Snow Bunnies, too Slushy for Snowmen, The Unaffordable Fjord, Wicked Santa and Christmas Shoplifter. 
Uh, which ones are your favourites, Paul? Um, well, uh, uh, I do like the ones, obviously, the ones I, I've read. Uh, also, Look, I'm No Scrooge. That's a fun one to read. Um, Snow Bunnies, Too Slushy for Snowmen, The Unaffordable Fjord. Uh, they're definitely ones that uh, I performed quite a lot. That's good, Paul. You want to read any more? No, no, I think that should be it, because as I said, uh, I should keep these for a Christmas episode, if I've not used them before. It's been such a long time now, Paul. This is where I remember what you did four years ago for Christmas. Oh, well, you might be right. You might be wrong, though. Some of them have got very good memories. <laughs> All right. Uh, what are you going to do next? I think I'm going to do something from Shayeti Goes Wild, but we'll play a bit more music. And I think uh, you'll have another guest to talk to. Oh, Martin, so... So fleeting a visit. That's all right, Paul, I don't mind. All right then. Okay, listeners, a little bit of music and we'll be back uh, to talk about Shayeti Goes Wild. We're now going to read a few of the poems from Shayeti Goes Wild. We've got Yeti Uncle John here. How are you doing, Yeti Uncle John? Oh, fine, thanks, Paul. You promised me a, a bottle of whiskey, but at the time of recording, you're in shame jail, so you can't have it until you get out. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, you see, uh, listeners, that I need bribery when it comes to listening to Paul's poems. Yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks, Yeti Uncle John. So uh, what happened with Shayeti Goes Wild? Well, it was a show I did. Um, again, I can't remember if I shared any clips from um, the show. In, I think I might have done. So uh, I don't want to repeat myself. Oh, <laughs> why stop now? It's Uncle John. So the poems in this little collection, which I did for the show, were Andreas the Acrobatic Cat, Bears Aren't Meant to Be Ballerinas, Becoming More Cat-like, the Black-Eyed Growl, The Bullier of Teddy Bears, Can't You Stop It Raining, Catching Moles for Guacamole, Colin the Custard-Eating Spider, Diagonal Cat, Do Kittens Eat Custard, Do Sheep Migrate, Exactly What Bears Can't Bear, A Flea Tea Party, Hooray for Bears, Life in a Pelican's Beak, A Little Mouse, Mice Tap Dancing, My Selfish Cat, A Night on the Town with a Yeti, Not the Most Honest Cat in the World, the pickpocketing fox, rabbits don't really like lettuce, the stand-up chameleon, Uncle Bear, a wasp in a wig, and why don't dragons clean their teeth? All right then, Paul, so what are you going to read us? Uh, I might read Catching Moles for Guacamole, but only because I can't remember quite how it goes. It's, it's pretty silly. Oh, surprise, surprise, Paul, surprise, surprise. Thanks, you, Uncle John. Catching moles for guacamole is the hardest job I've done. The blighters keep on fidgeting, so I've bought myself a gun. But when I try and shoot them critters, I never seem to get good luck. If they simply stick their tongues out, they just smile and swear, then duck. Oh, I've caught horses for horseradish. 
I tricked toads to put in holes, but none was quite as difficult as when it came to hunting moles. I tried dressing as a field mouse, and I hid away my net, but I wasn't fooling any mole. I still haven't caught one yet. I've sorted hounds to put in hot dogs, put the rat in ratatouille, but a moleless guacamole is not just tasteless, but dead gooey. I tried singing down their burrows in the hope they'd show an ear, but when the moles they heard me wailing, they would just up and disappear. Oh, I've caught fresh ants for croissants. I've put the bees in beetroot pie. But putting moles in guacamole is the hardest, and this is why. Because the moles have got a hunger. Our two sides will never mesh. For whilst I need them for our dinner, they're also plotting for our flesh. Catching moles for guacamole leaves me sitting here aghast. It's the ultimate in challenges. Oh, this may be my very last. So don't let them sink their teeth in. No, please, don't give them any lip. May the best man or mole win this one when the loser becomes the dip. Oh, my goodness, Paul. Your poems are revolting. Thanks, Yeti Uncle John. You've never said anything quite so nice before. Oh, right, yeah, OK. So, uh, is that it? No, it's not it. We'll, we'll, um, I'll read another couple. Oh, all right then. What's next? Maybe a wasp in a wig. A wasp in a wig? Uh, one of your more serious poems. Uh, yes. A, a wasp in a wig. A wasp in a wig is an odd sort of sight, because wigs are quite heavy and impede their flight. As it buzzes about, it gets all stingy and cross, which is ever so bad for it, but will show who is boss. Yes, a badly styled wig makes a poor wasp go nutty. Not to mention it cheapens them and makes them look slutty. A wasp in a wig, well, I'm begging your pardon, but it's hardly something that is common or garden. It is hardly a sight that you see every day, and a wasp, quite bewigged, likes to get its own way. It is bossy, a nightmare, thinks it always is right. Well, wasp, you may have a sting, but you've not felt my bite. A wasp in a wig is a terrible vision. In one breath it brings fear, in the other derision. And it's flying around, yeah, knowing your luck, it'll come after you, so be quick, better duck. For it hides in its wig guns and bombs and grenades, deadly missiles and tanks and maybe marital aids. A wasp in a wig is a blade on the wing, but the excellent chefs, why not give one a ring? They may dish up an omelette or a nice Sunday roast. A wasp knows its food and it's a very fine host. You'll be especially impressed if you like syrup of fig. There's so much more than a sting to a wasp in a wig. I don't know what to say about that, Paul. Uh, I'm trying to think, have I ever seen a wasp in a wig? Is this something that you experienced? It is actually, yes, based on a true story. In the early 2000s, wasps were always wearing wigs. Oh, you'd go out and they'd be, you know, you'd see them coming because they were wearing fully sized wigs. Like beehive hairdos. Wasps were wearing beehives. That uh, seems a little bit uh, uh, bizarre. Yeah, it was quite bizarre. Yeah, uh... The bees protested, and I think the wasps um, were banned from wearing uh, beehive wigs after that. They just sort of wore, um, I don't know, sort of bobs. Bobs, Paul. Yes, just bobs, little bobs. Right. And then eventually, what? They stopped wearing them all together? Yeah, I think the novelty wore off. I think the novelty wore off. The beehives, that was one thing. Bobs, hmm, less so. Right. Anything more? Yes, yes. Uh, let me see. What shall I read? One more. Oh, no. Yeah, let's do that one. 
the stand-up chameleon. The stand-up chameleon. Oh, of course, it's all animal-related, isn't it? It is, yes. The stand-up chameleon, he just merges in. A beer-sozzled comedian, his tail soaked in gin. He's a pun-pulling purveyor of words drenched in mirth. But he's lost in the background. He's been like that since birth. The stand-up chameleon, cast adrift in the crowd. When he needs to stand out, be verbose and loud. When he needs to be noticed, seems he simply gets lost. And no one is laughing, such a terrible cost. The stand-up chameleon, he'd like to shine bright. To stand out on the stage, maybe ten feet in height. But he's just more of the same. Just some showbiz has been. Seems the worst comment he gets is that he's simply routine. The stand-up chameleon just isn't funny enough. His words cobbled together and a bit off the cuff. He tries wearing a wig, even sticks out his tongue. For crimes committed to comedy, he may one day be hung. The stand-up chameleon, he, he won't get no applause. The bears in the crowd, they will not clap their paws. The laughter won't come, it won't rattle the rafters. He's just melting away, won't qualify for the bafters. The stand-up chameleon he meekly blends in. He must sometimes wonder why he ever went in for this lifestyle of laughter to this giggle-staffed place. The only thing folk find funny is his sad, ugly face. Oh dear, oh dear, Paul. Well, there's one thing I noticed there. The recurrence of the wig and a rather strained way you rhymed bafters, bafters with rafters. No, it's bafters and rafters. (laughs) I can't believe you did that, Paul. I was being cheeky. You were a bit northern. Well, rafters, rafters, bafters, bafters. Oh, yes. I was being deliberately cheeky. I I, uh, think think that's allowed sometimes. Probably, Paul. Well, that's it then, isn't it? Well, I've got to get back to shame jail. Never have I been so glad to get back in my own little room. I thought you shared. Oh, I don't share anymore, no. I, I, I actually, I think, I don't know, uh, I don't know if, if it's been mentioned before, depending on when this comes out. I'm actually top dog of shame jail right at the moment. Blimey, I didn't know that yet, Uncle John. Yeah, I think it's the whole, you know, escaping like I did, even though I came back. Uh, and uh, obviously I, I played down how cowardly I was when I stole the spaceship. Well, I didn't really stole it. I pressed the wrong button, but I, I don't tell them that. Anyway, I've got a bit of a following. Oh, yeti Uncle John. Yes, yeah. So uh, I, I uh, spending out my last few weeks as top dog of the shame jail, which uh, is why I have uh, my own room. Well, that's well, that's wonderful. Right, um, listeners, I think uh, it's time for us to play a little bit more music. When we come back, we'll talk about the last little compilation that came out in early 2012, uh, Cactus Heart. Oh, this is the sad one, isn't it, Paul? It is, yes. All right, yeti Uncle John, bye for now. Bye, Paul. Yes, uh, top dog, eh? <laughs> woof, woof.
yes. Uh, the last book we're going to talk about is Cactus Heart. Uh, it came out in early 2012. It's sort of sad love poems are compiled from all of the books. Um, the poems that appear here are The Ballad of a Go-Go Bear, Be My Valentine, Break My Heart, Cactus Heart, Cheating Time, Civil Tongue, Office Romance, Darling Time for a Word, Decorating Morrissey, Downstairs from Upstairs, Eating for One, Feels Like the End Days, Gad About, Stay at Home, Get Over Yourself, uh, Glue to Mend a Broken Heart, Goodbye Yet Not Farewell, Got It All, He Sang, How Foolish Were You Not to Love Me, Part One, If Diamonds Are Forever, I Know We'll Never Be Together, I Love You, But I Must Have Been Really Bad, I Want to Meet You Again, The Infatuation Dance, In Two Minds, Jealousy Did Him No Good, Keep on getting it wrong. The light at the end. Love and amnesia. Make all your lies true. My lover is lost. Never at home. The one left behind. The rock pool. Running down corridors. She had everything. She never had any luck. She takes off her rings. There are no discotheques in the stars. Trying and then trying to get back on track. Uh, two separate poems there. Unearthing the past. We don't dance to love songs. We're an item now. Whatever. What I say and what I mean. And you're no friend. Let's be enemies. Uncle, which one are you going to read first? Oh, I'm going to read them all. Oh, good, Paul. I'm so pleased. Um, <laughs> yes. So it makes a change from Yeti Uncle John. Yeti Uncle John is a very good person to have as a guest on a poetry episode. He most certainly isn't, no. Um, well, go on then. You probably shouldn't have done the sad poems last. <laughs> I probably should have done it somewhere in the middle, shouldn't I? But never mind. Um, I'll read this one. It's called Break My Heart. He's just my type, but he'll break my heart. Just my type, because he looks like you. He laughs like you. He makes me laugh like you did. It's as if he stole your voice, your mannerisms, your sense of humour. He's like a best of, a greatest hits compilation of you, only with none of the unpleasantness. Perhaps that comes later. But for now, I get butterflies when we meet. When I hear other people speak of him, when I think of his successes, I'm proud for him. I feel as if I've achieved something too. I'm besotted, infatuated. It's like meeting two people at once. Like meeting you all over again and meeting the person who he really is. I can't help myself. Can't hold anything back. It's like you never left me. It's like it might have been had you stayed. And I can't believe it. It's marvellous, it's frightening, a second chance, but I can't help but be scared. I'm over-analysing, defeatist. Do I love him because of who he is, or because of whom he reminds me of? He's a separate person. I must keep reminding myself of that. Maybe this time it'll work. I cling to the hope and to him, yet I know he'll break my heart, but it can hardly be worse than the first time. My heart is already shattered. A broken window remains broken once another stone is thrown through. It only lets in a little more air, damaged and unchanged. So how much more can a heart be hurt by you? Only in degrees. I know I can't resist. If only for old time's sake, so be it. But that is very sad, Paul. Sorry, you sound angry. But I am very pregnant. I know you're very pregnant. Whether by the time this episode comes out, you'll have... You'll have, um... Given birth. Given birth. You can say it. I, I can say it, yes. I think I should probably read Cactus Heart. Come on, then. Cactus Heart. She's something else, not what she seems. She stepped her way round football teams. She's had them knocking at her door, then kept a tally of her score. 
a pretty sight that must be seen, with grand ambitions to be queen. She's quite adorable at the start. Just don't be tricked. That girl, she has a cactus heart. She's something else. You'll see I'm right. Don't be fooled because she wears clothes tight. She's on a mission. That mission's you. She's just waiting for the perfect cue. She'll tell you all you want to hear. She'll play it shy or shed a tear. She knows her place and plays her part. But do beware, that girl, she has a cactus heart. She's something else you ought to know. She's cruel when she puts on a show. She's kind of sly. It's just a hunch. She packs a quite ferocious punch. Yet she does so with a smile, with charm and grace and utter style. She's quite a lady, quite a tart, quite in control. That girl, she has a cactus heart. She's something else, though not ideal. She can't be trusted behind the wheel. She's working as a hired gun. That kind of thing to her is fun. She's got a mean vindictive streak. Wait till you see her twisted peak. She's an expert with a poison dart. My darling wife, my beloved with the cactus heart. Well, that's quite romantic. Sounds like an absolute terror. <laughs> well, I was hoping to paint her as an absolute terror, but also very exciting. You know, some sort of anti-hero or, I don't know, someone who is completely in control. Well, I think that's fine. I think she'd be proud. I think despite all that, she was loved. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, <laughs> she was uh, quite a character. So what next? Maybe glue to mend a broken heart. Oh, blimey. Give me sympathy and sanity, a glass of Chardonnay. Let me sit and think about the times you let me have my way. Let me contemplate about those nights, your promise to be mine, before our love grew complicated, before it died upon the vine. Give me reason to think fondly of that foolish, wasteful year, or shall I wipe it from my mind and let it quickly disappear? Give me glue to mend my broken heart. Leave me lonely, please don't speak. Give me words on which to rest my head, to cling to when I'm weak. Give me solace, give me silence, give me whiskey, serve it neat. Loving you is an experience I would rather not repeat. Except you know I'm really lying, and if the chance would come again, oh, I would put up with the torment and forget you caused me pain. Give me reason to think kindly, not remember all the lies. I should have kept my love on ice. I should have been more worldly wise. Give me glue to mend my broken heart. Seems for now there is no feeling. My poor heart remains too numb. It doesn't yet feel like it's healing. Give me passion, give me violence, give me vodka on the rocks. Then set free my love for you that is as strong as any ox. So you feel nothing for me now, and our relationship is strained. You cannot keep a love like that, so meanly trapped, cruelly contained. Give me reason not to hate you for all the mind games that you played. Make it clear you didn't want me, and don't regret you never stayed. Give me glue to mend my broken heart, and I shall repair it piece by piece. But why do I feel so bitter now I am offered sweet release? Dear, oh dear, Paul, I was crying in the aisles. Crying in the aisles, yeah. Well, I suppose that's uh, nearly all we've got time for. We've whizzed through some of these. I want to read one. Really? Yes, Paul. I'm not like it, Uncle John. I want to encourage you. All right, what did you want to read? This one. If diamonds are forever, then why did my diamond lover leave? All right, then, go ahead. He was made from diamonds. He was made to last. From the rarest gemstone, yet now his time has passed. He should have been the one, made to treat me right. Meant to be dead precious, so why is he gone tonight? 
He was supposed to be a stayer, be my very bestest friend, meant to be forever, until the very end. Then why, and can you answer, does it seem he's not to be? Could it be that he was flawed, perhaps? But it seems that way to me. Yes, he was meant to be my darling, yet he is no longer here. Yes, they made him out of diamonds, but it was a foolish plan, I fear. But why does no one know the reason? Why can't anyone perceive? Why, if diamonds are forever, did my diamond lover up and leave? Oh, Paul. It's kind of a weird one, really. <laughs> diamonds are forever. A lover made from diamonds. It's not normal. Oh, well, on my planet it might be. <laughs> OK. Um, right. One more, Paul. We need one more. Oh, goodness. All right, one more. One more. Um, maybe this one, the infatuation dance. Oh, infatuation. Yeah. Well, you know you can't resist it. You should know you can't deny that your feelings can't be trusted and your heart's about to fly, that your head is full of nonsense, that you cannot speak a word. You don't listen to their chatter. No, you never even heard. With your thoughts up in the clouds and every sight of life a blur, you have been changed beyond belief. You can't go back the way you were. Would you say you had a fever? Is your forehead wet with sweat? Have you lost control of your emotions? And is it causing you to fret? Are your feelings feeling fragile? Can you not tell you're up from down? Are your thoughts in heart-shaped bubbles? Do they chase you round the town? Does all you do from day to day remind you now of him? Do you see his face in lime scale when you're cleaning round the rim? When you hear the sweet dawn chorus, is it your girl you're singing for? And any knowing winks you're given? Now they're just something to ignore. Is your time not worth a damn now without your loved one by your side? Even when they are a failure, you still speak of them with pride. Such feckless infatuation, but it comes at quite a price. It's not enough to earn devotion just by being kind and nice. You must dance the dance completely. You must bow down on the floor, but you'll never satisfy it because love's always wanting more. Oh, the infatuation... Dance. Do you know the moves for that one, Paul? <laughs> uh, it's a quick, quick step, uh, side step, and um, you do a spin. All right, OK. Right, well, that really is all we've got time for. Although, of course, we will have something after the music. But, uh, um, yeah, thank you for joining us. And thanks to Yeti Uncle John, to Martin, to Cromarty, to Ick. My pleasure, Paul. And thanks for, yes, letting me talk about uh, junk food and Too Slushy for Snowmen, Shayeti Goes Wild, and Cactus Heart. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back with you soon. I think there will be more poems to discuss during 2022, um, but um, I'll, I'll talk about that when we, when we get to the appropriate place. That's good, Paul. That's good. OK, right, well, we'll say goodbye then. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now, listeners. Bye-bye for now. Bye, listeners.
poem, darling. It's me, Tina. I've been asked to read a poem. I've chosen this one, Running Down Corridors. It's from Cactus Heart. Running down corridors for a living is a tiring job, poorly paid. Once you've seen your umpteenth evil villain, the whole experience becomes rather staid. All day she spends running down corridors and twisting her ankle to boot. She screams by request at the monsters and ducks the attack if they shoot. She is the maid in distress when one's needed. She is the girl of his dreams on the screen. But if she needs him to do something manly, then he's nowhere around to be seen. All week she spends running down corridors and dripping down steps in a fuss. All the other leading ladies have chauffeurs while she still has to get on the bus. What's worse, it is hard acting frightened of, of creatures which swiftly pursue. When you see them, they're all out of costume in the canteen lined up in the queue. All the year she spends running down corridors and screaming a bit for a laugh. Gets just 20 minutes for dinner down the pub, only time for a half. One day she'll keep running so quickly that perhaps she won't need to come back. The monsters will have no one to follow. The corridors, her cries, they will lack. She runs down echoing corridors daily. She hates it. She just cannot lie. The day that she locates the exit is the day that she says her goodbye. Oh dear, reminds me of my days many years ago. August, would you like to read one? Oh, I suppose so. Um, oh, what about this one? Unearthing the past. Oh, go on then, darling, go on. Unearthing the past. Clearing out my flat, I found cards that I wrote to you. Five, ten years past. Cards written by me, left behind by you. On your departure after the split. Lost there at the back of a shelf. In a wardrobe that used to hold your clothes. I love our time together. I always want to be yours, baby. I had written. There were many cards like this. They were pretty funny. Some of them rather sweet. I made myself laugh. I hadn't the heart to bin them and just pushed them to the back of the shelf again. Embarrassed by my yesterdays, but not prepared to disown them. I no longer know the person who wrote them. He has changed beyond recognition. Who was he? I cannot answer, but no one thing. I still feel ashamed, yet grudgingly acceptant of what happened. Our breakup and the circumstances that led to it. So painful, unplanned, unwanted, and yet inevitable. I will love you always, I wrote, but in the end I now see that time has made a liar of me. Oh, darling, oh, it's rather deeper than I expected. Well, it's uh, uh, strange. Oh, it makes me feel a bit funny. Oh, darling, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, dear. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com. Oh dear, <laughs> what's going on now? Oh, it's the Shy Life Podcast. Let's go. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We 
have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net. Hello, it's me, Charlie Gur. I've been asked to read a poem from this collection from the Cactus Heart book. There was nothing about pies, so I've gone for this one. Uh, jealousy did him no good. Jealousy did him no good, his heart so envy-green. He was surely the most jealous man that I have ever seen. He was jealous of butterflies, so pretty of wing. He was jealous of autumn and jealous of spring. He was deadly enraged by the stars in the sky. The planets and moons simply caused him to cry. Why can't I be unique, bright and special like you? The clouds sympathised, yet his jealousy grew. Jealousy did him no good. His eyes were envy green. He was surely the most jealous man to grow up in Aberdeen. He was jealous of sunrise and blossom on trees. He was jealous of muscles and knobbly knees. He was way too upset when the dead rose to walk. Even worse still than this were small birds that could talk. You should stick to just flying, not talking as well. As jealous as ever screamed, fly off to hell. Jealousy did him no good. His blood boiled over green. He was surely the most jealous man, and worse than that, he was mean. He was jealous of happiness, jealous of those who ran around starkers and shed all their clothes. He was maddened by kindness and charity fair, and folk who'd risk things for a damn silly dare. He was jealous of those with a reason to live, not like him grizzled up and with nothing to give. He was jealous of life, every sweet sublime twist, for the chances he'd scorned and now all that he'd missed. So envious became that he drunk himself green. He smiled as he took to his bed, swore to change his old ways, which it seems that he did. Now he's no longer jealous, just dead. Uh, Tallulah, would you like to read anything? Oh, no, my dear, no. Oh, no. I don't think I could. I'd be too shy. Oh, you'd be great, Mum. You'd be be great. Oh, no, not this time. Maybe next time. Oh, you are sweet, though, Martin. Oh, lovely boy. Hello, it's me. Um, uh, Albert the Dragon. I'm going to read a poem. I think it's the last one. It's called We Don't Dance to Love Songs. We don't dance to love songs. Don't ask us to sway. To romantic swoon verses your band chose to play. Now we plug up our ears to such way soppy dross. We shall kick off our boots now and show you who's boss. Now we don't dance to ballads for the beat's just too weak. Or the words are so dreary and send us to sleep. Can't convince us to waltz. Now we see through your ruse. Now we won't boss a nova, even flaked out on booze. Oh, we shan't dance to blues tunes. Don't ask us to groove. We have more self-respect and have nothing to prove. Should the DJ play love songs, all us dancers go tense. We're not keen to look stupid. We were born with more sense. No, we won't dance to jungle. It's just not to our taste. We will not go pull shapes if they're going to waste. We've a standard to maintain, got to keep our heads high. No, we won't dance to love songs. You shouldn't have to ask why. No, we don't dance to ballads, nor to songs sickly sweet. No, we don't dance to love songs, but quickly retreat. No, we don't let our ears hear their brain-rotting tunes. We like them as much as small children like prunes. There is no kind of love song that can get us to bop.
that can get us to dance, that can put us on top. Do not give me a headache. Do not take me to task because we don't dance to love songs. So quite simply, don't ask. That right, Paul? That was perfect, Albert. Absolutely perfect. Say goodbye now. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Bye, listeners. Bye, listeners. Yeah. was a wonderful episode, don't you, Tommy? I sure do. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. down in a minute. Sweet George Roy. You what? what? Sweet George Roy. Medium, please. I'm not medium. Uh, what did you say then? What have, what have you are having? What have you are having? having? Being offered booze. I'm reformed, repaired, inspired, neither trouble nor strife. I beg of you, my darling, come and stabilise my life. <coughs> Take the shackles off my past, dear. Let me show you the real me. I stopped flirting oh, with the milkman. Wonders of podcasting.